0: What's going on, y'all? Welcome back to yet another episode of In Defense of Liberation, the show that is working towards and educating about a true people's liberation movement and one day soon, a true proletarian revolution. But until that day comes, I am your host, Josh, and I'd like to say thank you so much for stopping by. This is our morning commute for Sunday, February 6th, 2022. It is bright and sunny where I'm at, and it is fucking cold. The weather says that it's seven degrees outside, but it also says that it feels like negative four. I never understood why they didn't just label then the weather as being negative four degrees, but go off weather people, have your fun. Anyways, in case you can't tell, I'm a little bit um, not in a great headspace. I'm just very frustrated and very like depressed and anxious. Uh, I've just kind of been like, I don't know, in my bubble a lot, Um, and that's fine, you know, I like the people I like being around, I don't really like my job, which I spend most of my time at, but I guess that doesn't really matter because none of us do, Um, I don't particularly quite like where I live either, and I'm just kind of like... I don't know, I'm just like losing steam. Uh I don't know about y'all but like every so often and it's getting a little bit more frequent, I'm just burning out constantly. And it really fucking sucks. Cause like then I just get more depressed because I'm like, oh I'm just bumming, you know. uh, you know, here I am talking all this shit on this podcast. I don't do anything, you know. And like <clears throat> I don't know. It's just like it's really weird maintaining a majority of my relationships through like social media and texting and stuff like that cuz like I don't know, I don't get like that genuine human connection that like I need. And I'm, like, an attention-seeking person. I'm very desperate for attention in the sense that, like, I don't know. I guess that could be considered a bad thing. But for me, it's just, like, I just require people to pay a little bit more attention to me. Which, you know, thus the podcast. (laughs) It all makes sense, right? Um, But, yeah, I've just been, like, kind of really fucking bummed. And I can't really shake myself out of it. Like, I get mood swings where I'm, like, doing well, you know, I'm happy, I'm having fun. Or, you know, I'm at least not super anxious and depressed. But then, like, that shit just flips a switch and it's gone. And it's been so fucking, like, disheartening. Because I'm like, how the fuck am I going to be able to do any kind of real-life organizing... Like, how am I supposed to be this revolutionary when I get so emotional over the most random and obscure fucking things ever? And, you know, I don't know that that's necessarily the best head talk to have with yourself, but that's kind of how it makes me feel. And so I've really been just kind of, like, in this shell these last few days. Uh, It's kind of, like, really wanting to connect with people, really wanting to build some bridges, build and grow and, you know, nurture some relationships I have, but I almost, like, don't have any energy to do so, like, just very on edge, I'm very tired and I'm not even tired from, like, not sleeping because I, like, clock the fuck out and just go straight up brain dead like it's the sleep where you just like close your eyes and you just wake right back up and it's eight o'clock in the morning like that's how I've been sleeping for like months now so I feel like I don't actually hit any REM sleep I feel like I'm not getting any restful sleep Uh, I don't have dreams which is not necessarily normal for me but at the same time I've been told that that is a Possible implication that I'm not getting like deep sleep. So, like, all in all, I'm just kind of like depressed and burnt out. And so, I wanted to talk about that at the top of the show a little bit because I think that I don't know, I don't think I'm too dissimilar in that from many people. I think a lot of folks, uh, I don't know, a lot of people I talk with are so fucking down. And like, in a lot of cases, a lot of people are hopeless. I wouldn't call myself hopeless. I do struggle to be inspired and hopeful, but I'm not hopeless. Like, I do believe, um, (coughs) excuse me. (coughs) I do believe in the masses of people in the global South, I believe in the revolutionary potential of the working and exploited people here on Turtle Island. But for me, like two things pop into my head. One, I don't really know how I can play a a supportive and useful role yet. You know, I have some ideas and I'm trying to build connections and relationships, but it's hard, you know. And the second thing that pops into my head is, like, what kind of dichotomy, what kind of relationship is evident in, like, people such as myself being so depressed and so anxious and, you know, incapable of doing things and yet saying, oh, I believe in the global south. Like, although I don't intend it and I don't think many people do, I think a lot of us are kind of passing the ball on to the most exploited and oppressed people to kind of, like, have at it. And we're just kind of hoping for the best. Like, I even see a lot of us who are doing our, you know, due diligence to try to support and uh, show solidarity with the ongoing movements across the the Global South. I kind of feel like a lot of us... um cash in, like, an aesthetic check because, you know, we're the the white person or we're the American or we're the person in the West who is supportive and showing solidarity with, like, actively uh, developing people's movements and socialist projects across the world. And so it kind of takes away from, like, the importance... Of what solidarity even is and what it's meant to look like. And I think that for me personally, at least, the instances which I've had where I've been like really down like this, but I've gone and, you know, forced myself to, you know, maybe recently we had a a, a tenant press conference that, you know, I was just not doing well that morning. But I ended up forcing myself to go um, and it went great. And I got to meet with and and talk to a bunch of, you know, tenants and uh, also catch up with some comrades, um, check in with everybody, see how everyone's doing. And it was cool because like normally, you know, a lot of the shit that we're doing is through Zoom. A lot of the organizing, a lot of people are doing right now can't be in person because of COVID and other, you know, difficulties with like work and school, et cetera. So like taking the precautions we needed and being able to be there uh, in person, it was, it was really meaningful, it was cool. Um, but we got to start doing that with the ongoing movements across the world. I know folks like, you know, I'll always shout them out, Comrade Libre, uh, and uh, also Aminta from uh, Troika Collective, uh, who are constantly in Nicaragua, and Honduras, and Cuba, and elsewhere, doing all kinds of solidarity work, Uh, shout out to Ramiro, Sebastian Foynez, Unmasking Imperialism, as always, for constantly pushing me to join and to develop relationships with internationalist organizations because if we recognize right now in the moment of time we're in the international scale and implications that are had with the relationships of uh, production, the relationships of oppression, the relationships of uh, existence really are of an international character I've been checking out lately a lot of Hood Communists stuff you go to hoodcommunist.org they put out <clears throat> incredible articles from a bunch of different authors you can also check out the Black Alliance for Peace uh but the um The writings on there that they've been putting up for Black History Month about the need for Pan-Africanism and understanding the international connectivity between the peoples here in the U.S. empire and the people across the world has really been, you know, continuously fanning the flame that I've been really thinking about myself in trying to discuss of, you know, internationalism and mass organization. So I kind of wanted to talk about some of the things that are going on uh, globally and talk about the ways in which, at the end here, I think that those of us within the empire, especially those of us who are, you know, white, cisgender males, can and should be doing so as to be able to, you know, show support uh, and do some real solidarity work instead of just, you know... I put on Twitter and on Facebook this little rant, which I don't know, sometimes some sometimes when I put shit on there immediately after, I'm like, I didn't really need to be the one to post that, but that's what social media is for, right? Anyways, I put a little rant on Twitter and on Facebook that like you know We have aestheticized and abstracted uh Radical and revolutionary history As well as, you know, clearly Defanged what Black History Month Was meant to be And is meant to be And can be And and is in a lot of ways Because of a lot of incredible people and organizations That are doing work right now But anyways, the liberal co-option Of, you know black history month in general, but also of black revolutionaries and radicals throughout the years is not something that we can ignore. And I maybe don't need to be the one to lead this conversation, but I put up there that it's so ridiculous how ingrained into our minds that liberal co-option is that people will post like pretty fucking great quotes from you know revolutionaries and radicals throughout this month they'll put all these pictures up and they'll change their timeline completely but how many people post a fucking you know I've read one from Lumumba that someone posted and when I saw it I was like you know it's got like 19,000 likes and It just, it it gives me agita because I know for myself and for many people that are liking that, we're not doing everything that we can to be able to actually apply the quote. You know, like uh, you got all these different revolutionaries talking about the fact that the the white liberal, uh, you know, is a fox that uh, white activists are there and they organize until it's convenient for them not to be. And that's what we see time and time again. We see exploited and oppressed people forced into a position where they have to be the main defenders and the main freedom fighters for their own liberation while under the boot of colonialism, imperialism, racism, and patriarchy. So what's crazy to me is you'll have someone post a quote and it's almost as if they didn't even read it. Like the words are right there in front of them. They're posting it on their social media and they're not absorbing those words. They're not like actually taking that on as a sense of responsibility, as this need to organize and to do work, you know. And I'm in a lot of cases one of those people who genuinely needs to be doing more given the amount that I speak about these things and the amount that I study these things and try to learn and try to, you know, develop these relationships. And so there's some really important and really like uh, complicated things going on. I guess that's the only word that there is to use for this, but that really need our attention, First and foremost, we have the ongoing militarization in the Ukraine and all throughout Eastern Europe. The United States recently sent 3,000 troops to Germany, Poland, and Romania. Now, it is said that these troops will not be for active warfare. But at the end of the day, what are they there for then? You know, they'll say protection, they'll say support, da 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 you got guys with guns and riot gear. What else are they useful for? They're not going to go out and give counseling sessions. You also have the encirclement of the South China Sea, the amplification and intensification of military pacts between countries like Australia, the United Kingdom, and the United States in AUKUS. You have the intensification of uh, contradictions between NATO and United Nations States. For example, the intensification in the Ukraine is because the United States says it will not uh, commit to this notion that they will not try to get Ukraine to join NATO, Uh, and yet Germany and France have both gone on record saying that they will not allow the Ukraine to join NATO. Now, that doesn't mean that that's true today. That doesn't mean that it will be how it plays out. But it does mean that at the very least, it shows that Germany, France, and the United States, three of some of the largest imperialist nations to this day, have contradictory interests. The other thing that we want to point to, and I will, you know, at the end of this, give some sources to, to check out, but the ongoing... Uh, coup d'etats in uh, Africa, as well as the hyper-militarization of North Africa, West Africa, and elsewhere. A lot of the uh, coups that have taken place, or military juntas that have taken place in Africa, uh, 11 in the last, uh, in this century, I believe it is, I think that's the statistic. Uh I could be wrong, but I believe there has been 11 coup attempts in the 2000s and uh in that time, 9 of those uh generals or commanders or leaders of the coup, the military officials that took power were trained in uh, you know, foreign nations military schools. Uh, the quote uh by someone who works for the United States military. Excuse me for forgetting their name. This was mentioned on By Any Means Necessary. Um, But there was a a quote where someone said, you know, I don't think it's a good idea that we have these African people coming here and learning in the United States and in France and in, you know, England uh, and Germany how to do this military coup and, and really how to basically put Western and European ideals and practices and beliefs forward and above those of, you know, African origin. And, you know, as uh, Jackie Lukman and Sean Blackman, as well as the interviewee uh, who was on to discuss this topic, mentioned... It's not like this is some revolutionary, you know, analysis. But it is funny that even the capitalists and the imperialists have to be like, hey, maybe it's not such a good idea that we keep training them how to do coups and telling them that the United States or France or, you know, Spain or Germany or whoever is, uh, you know, the best country in the world, that capitalism is the way to... Because this is what happens. They have coups and people get killed but it's not like the person who said that or any of the people who are now uh way more likely to receive contracts for extractive processes for resources or better labor force deals with the working people of those countries being exploited and oppressed and forced to work these menial jobs for poor 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 wages uh, It's not like any of those people actually are like, oh, we definitely shouldn't let this happen anymore because this is bad for African people. But it's it's hard because it's implicating, you know, Europe and America in essentially war crimes. Now, of course, as many people point out whenever someone talks about this, oh, nothing is going to happen. Well, yeah, maybe. Maybe nothing will happen. But I don't really think that's the most likely scenario. Because if we look at places like Sudan, or Mali, or South Africa, or Kenya, places where these contradictions, these coups, these capitalist notions have really come and tried to settle, like in the Congo, or in Ethiopia and Eritrea we see that there are distinctly and sharply uh, contradictory interests between the people and the rulers of these nations. We know this because there has been almost non-stop resistance against these groups and against these ruling class powers in these countries where these events have taken place. Now, groups like AFRICOM... NATO and the United Nations, uh, you know, have interests that are served here. Even if the countries cannot solidify themselves as capitalist nations, the turmoil, the turbulence, And the instability allows for the United States and other countries which are stabilizing in some way and are taking hold of the resources, the labor forces, the militaries, the economies, and the industries. And they are using these moments as opportunities to further their own interests and their own needs. So if we understand this, then we have to understand that there is desperate need here in the belly of the beast, in the United States, to do something about this. We must demand an abolition of NATO. We must demand an abolition of AFRICOM and a full defunding. We must demand an end to all forms of oppression, of exploited and oppressed peoples worldwide by the U.S. Empire. And we must do so militantly. Not just through podcasts, not just through social media posts, but through actually demonstrating. Going out and educating people about the U.S. empire and how they are a part of the world's largest military industrial complex that has ever existed in human history. That their tax dollars, all of the money that they should be getting for healthcare and education and quality housing and proper information and news sourcing, all of that is going directly to the Pentagon, to the private military contracting companies, to the private prisons, and to the extractive and exploitative industries and banks across the world. We cannot allow these things to go not only unnoticed, but unchecked, because it's cool. That a lot of us know that this shit is going on. It's cool that not everybody is fully propagandized to. In the way that we maybe were 10, 15, 20 years ago. But we are seeing with the advent of things like TikTok. And with the further uh, co-option of the media. And further centralization of the media. And the education systems. That this is a possibility and a time that will not last forever. We have to use this moment, these contradictions, and our opportunities to seize the moment, to seize power, and to cease capitalist and imperialist uh, existence. I want to also talk about here the fact that we need to understand what that looks like. Um... But before I really get into that, let me make sure I cover just about everything I want. Well, actually, no, I didn't because I want to give you some sources Um, while I'm hitting this bowl real quick. Check out By Any Means Necessary. Check out uh, Black Agenda Report. Check out Black Alliance for Peace. Check out Hood Communist. Check out um, The Punch-Out with Eugene Perrier, Check out People's Dispatch. And also give the people what they want. Um, You can also check out... uh, Let me see here. The Red Nation podcast and Bands of Turtle Island. Two incredibly important and, uh, you know, awesome shows. You should also check out The Empire Files. Probably Cancelled podcast. Guerrilla History. And uh, Working People podcast. As well as Anti-Conquista all of whom I think do some pretty great internationalist coverage. You should also check out Unmasking Imperialism on YouTube from the homie Ramiro Sebastian Foynez. You should check out Troika Collective, Red Condor Collective, Affirm in Hawaii. You should also check out things like the No Cold War campaign, Friends of Socialist China. Um, Let's see here. Uh, Li Jingjing, sorry, that just popped into my head, Li Li Jingjing is an incredible YouTuber that does fantastic coverage, especially for a while there, debunking the Uyghur genocide myths, um, what else here, uh, check out, um, Telesur English and Kawasachin News on Twitter and on YouTube, Venezuela Analysis, um, I'm trying to think here. Check out Professor Danny Shaw. Um, Friends of the ATC. There's a lot of great internationalist organizations out there that are putting out constant, you know, uh, reports and articles about what's going on worldwide so i'll just give you those sources to check out because all of those are incredibly important give updates every single day if you have any more suggestions yourself or if you want more get a hold of me you can dm me you can reach out to me through email it's of liberation at com. no caps no spaces but now that we've kind of covered a lot of what's going on globally and I want to get into a little bit more of the the depths of that here for a minute. But before I do that, I want to just mention lastly, none of this can be seen in a bubble. None of this can be disconnected from its internationalist character. What is affecting the Russian people also affects the Chinese people, which also affects the American Uh, people of North and South America, which also affects African people and also affects European people. We have to understand also in that way that these things do not affect people the same way. We have to look at the contradictions the inequalities, and the differences between different communities and groups' treatment under the capitalist and imperialist system. Not so as to affirm those differences and to designate those stereotypes and stigmas as reasons to further exploit and create inequality for those who have already suffered it, But in fact, to understand why those things began, what their origins are, so as to break them down and eliminate them. We here on the show and we here as international revolutionary communists must be demanding an end in any way possible by any means necessary of the exploitation and oppression of any people group anywhere across the world. Now, there's some nuance and complication there, but we also have to understand what that means is people who are under the boot of oppression and exploitation deserve liberation, and they deserve liberation on their terms by their own hands, through their own words, by their own means. I think I've mentioned on here a time or two recently that I'm reading uh, George Jackson's Blood in My Eye with some comrades of mine, and I, uh, I really would like to point out a few things that this, is, this has taught me, because I think they, they really connect to this point and to this discussion. Um, so first and foremost, a lot of people get turned off from George Jackson, because he's very in your face, he's very upfront, and he's very pro-revolutionary violence. And I think for a lot of people, especially here in the West, uh, especially non, or excuse me, especially white people, you know what I'm saying? Um, And and some, what we might call, uh, quote, upper-class or middle-class folks, they really get uncomfortable with this idea of violence, right? And they really, especially, grossly enough, get uncomfortable with this idea of violence, more so when it's coming out of the mouths of, like, non-white people. Because, like, I mean, how fucking deep-seated is Americans, like, fetishization of violence. Like, look at all of our video games, look at our movies, look at even our religions. Like, I remember as, like, a little kid hearing my, like, pastor or, like, my grandma talking about the suffering and torture that would come if I didn't believe in God and went to hell. Like, that shit is deeply ingrained in the fucking uh, system and in the psyche of people here in the United States. And yet, for some fucking reason, when George Jackson says we will have to get used to, you know, blockades on every corner and barbed wire and burning police cars within the cities of the United States of America he's not accepted in the same way that the call of duty franchise is and I think that that's you know pretty telling and to to develop this forward what I'm what I'm meaning to discuss here and why why I bring this up is because George Jackson, one of the most uh, kind of like through and through points he makes uh, in just about every uh, like writing that I've, I've read of his, his letters to his folks and the books that came from them and everything. But he understands that resistance, right, comes at a cost when you are fighting a imperial death squad intent on eliminating any and all resistance, there is a certain necessity for violence that cannot be put uh, at the feet of, you know, exploited and oppressed people as their fault or from their blame. If you look at the foundation to this country, what we call the United States, we have to understand how incredibly fundamental to the development of America. That violence has always been. But it's been violence by and for the settlers, the white supremacists, the patriarchs, the racists, the capitalists, and the imperialists. It's violence for the rapists, for the murderers, for the bankers, for the militaries that. Is widely accepted in society as one of the evils, but yet not fought and not attacked in the same way that even here in the most militarized and hyper violent fetishized nations in the world, we have folks who are getting killed for defending themselves 22 years old, defending themselves from a police officer on a no-knock warrant. We got people who are getting killed for counterfeit dollar bills. they know, they know what type of violence they're willing to accept, whose violence they're willing to accept. And so if that is the case, George Jackson puts it clearly to us. Are we going to fight back? Or are we going to die? Are we going to be slaughtered? In Nick Estes' book, Our History is the Future, he talks about the fact that Indigenous resistance has been so incredibly connected to the survival of Indigenous peoples throughout history that to call Indigenous peoples or to call for Indigenous peoples to be exclusively nonviolent and peaceful is to demand that indigenous peoples lie down and die. Because indigenous peoples, black folks, Latinos, and Chicanos, we got uh, Asian folks, we got all kinds of non white, non European non-North American people who every single day are under attack and yet are being told, lay down your guns. Why can't you do this peacefully? Why do you break into these buildings and steal? What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? Because here's the thing, and I know I've been rambling here, such as the morning commute, so you signed up for this, but There's a few other things that George Jackson brings forward that I think are incredibly fundamental. One, the fact that because of this, one of the main things that needs to be developed is a vanguard party that is capable of engaging in this revolutionary violence so as to defend the masses of exploited and oppressed people as well as their leaders. Jonathan Jackson especially talks about this in a lot of his letters to George Jackson. And so when he's talking about this, George Jackson is, you know, <laughs> he talks about this in my reading group. He's saying a lot of shit that people get scared about, get anxious for. They're like, oh, I, I don't know. I don't know. Do you think people would be down with this kind of violence? Do you think you would be down with this violence, you know? And it's uh, it's kind of crazy because what George Jackson makes really clear is that not for nothing, we don't really care if you're down with this violence. We got to survive. So if police, like Huey P and Bobby Seale we're talking about, If police keep coming into our neighborhoods and killing, you know, folks, police are gonna get killed. Police are gonna get followed. Police are gonna be beaten down on. Because we're not just gonna keep sitting here. You know, folks aren't just gonna keep sitting here and watching as their loved ones, as their children, or as they themselves are abused and dehumanized in this way and just continue to allow it to happen. So George Jackson says, know, and Jonathan Jackson too. this violence is not only necessary but is the fundamental and crucial point to actually succeeding. He brings up lenin's point to use violence uh scientifically and sharply. He talks about the discussions of Folks like Malcolm X, Kwame Nkrumah, Patrice Lumumba. He talks about Che and Fidel a little bit in some occasions. But most importantly, George Jackson is focusing on the reality that is here in front of us today. In the United States of America, as it is called. Now, we got a lot going on here. Yeah, we got a lot of different contradictions, a lot of different people. A lot of different forms of oppression and suffering. But because of that, another thing, and and this is connected to the second point, and then I'll make the third point on George Jackson, and then I'll probably have to close up here. But this is another thing that George Jackson makes very clear, because this is the reality that is necessary for the survival of non-white non-european non-males here in the united states of america then that means that those people white folks you know privileged upper middle class uh groups of people who have committed themselves to the capitalist system because they think it's what's going to benefit them and their you know loved ones and their children And also, especially, folks who recognize that their privileges and their, uh, you know, little incentives that capitalism tells them are what makes capitalism so great are only able to be received, only able to be had, if the continued imperialism and militarism of the western capitalist and imperialist nations continues now we know that the foundation to capitalism in the west was the transatlantic slave trade we know that the foundation of capitalism is commodification private property and um uh, a continued oppression of the the many by the few and a breakaway from feudal relations so as to develop capitalist ones and imperialist ones that is the very crux, the origin point by which capitalism was able to develop the reason why wealthy people exist today. I guarantee you, if you trace all of their money back to the 17, 16, and 1500s, and 1800s, and, you know, even 1900s and 2000s today because of the private, anyways, slavery never ended, we know this, Nestle, Mars, and Hershey are being sued for child slavery right now, um, and and the same thing is happening in countries in Asia. The same thing has been happening in countries in Latin America, in sweatshops, in, you know, prostitution and sex trade rings and all kinds of disgusting and, and dehumanizing forms of oppression continue to this day. But if we trace the wealth of these nations back, they are wealthy because they stole that wealth. They stole that power and they stole those resources from the people of the global South. Exploited and oppressed people exist today because that is the foundation to the capitalist and imperialist system. The majority must be exploited because how else are the few to become so wealthy. Nobody can work hard enough to earn that kind of wealth. Nobody. So the third thing that George Jackson brings up, oh shit, I, I didn't get into it. Okay, so the, the point I was making is that white folks, right, and privileged people who have these, these uh, incentives that capitalism gives them have to understand that the only way in which that this would be possible is the further exploitation of millions and billions of people worldwide. So because of that, we also have to be doing work within our own communities. White people got to be working within the white communities to be able to break down racism, to be able to break down imperialism, to be able to break down capitalism, to be able to break down patriarchy, and to be able to not only make people understand But to make people give away their privileges because they know that it is more important that everyone in this world be free rather than they have a few extra crumbs that make them feel that they are better and, you know, uh, more human than others because they have a few more commodities. So because of that, we have to be playing our role of support as well. So when we talk about violence and a lot of people get, ah, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I like this. Da da, da, da. Cool. Uh, George Jackson, you know, Jonathan Jackson, many other people since then have said, hey, we're not real comfortable getting killed every single day in the streets either. So how about you realize that it's time that somebody else join in the dying? That's what George Jackson says. It's somebody... This time somebody else join in the funerals. So if you're not comfortable with that, it doesn't matter. But what our job as people who are comfortable with that, because we recognize what incredible necessity is there to free uh, exploited and oppressed people today, we have to play support roles. We have to be taking what happens and breaking it down to people. George Jackson says if Jonathan is to have his, you know, anti-Nixon rocket launcher, not only does he have to have, you know, eight people, I think he says, with ARs to be able to protect him and create an exit route for him, but he also has to have a political apparatus nearby that is able to explain to the people the reason for those actions and what was gained, what failed. And why it failed. All of that is a role that the people who maybe aren't super comfortable with doing the violence themselves need to be doing. And not need in, you know, uh, because you're this savior and and you're going to play this incredible uh, uh, role. And we need you and we just need white people and we need uh, North Americans and we need Europeans. No. What I'm saying is for this to work the best, we have to use everything in our arsenal. So that means we, those of us who are conscious, those of us who are revolutionaries, who maybe do not belong to the most exploited and the most oppressed uh, groups and communities, need to be able to develop connections, relationships, and trust within these communities. We have to develop forms of solidarity and support where we put in work and really show not just through words but through actions that we are willing to dedicate ourselves to the liberation of others not for our own benefit but for the freedom of all and i mean freedom in the truest proletarian sense not in the liberal bourgeois way i mean freedom for people to control their own destinies, to administrate their own governments, to be given housing, healthcare, education, and food, because they are human beings and they have it in their country to do so. We have to be playing those roles because otherwise we will see that, as we know, the reactionary forces will come out. There has to be a front against them. And those of us within the communities that would normally turn reactionary need to be playing our role as revolutionaries so as to be able to pull as many people out from those communities that will do the same. We need the numbers. We need to play support because we need people to survive. George Jackson and Jonathan Jackson, as well as plenty of others, make it very clear. We can't have a revolution if we can't even survive long enough to get there. People are killed every single day for just simply announcing or denouncing certain political ideas. People are thrown in jail. This is what George Jackson was doing in jail for 11 years, constantly being punished for their political activities, for their, uh, you know, quote, criminal behaviors, which are ultimately predicated on a system where someone needs to steal, kill, or rob so as to be able to have what every human being needs as a human necessity so in going forward the last thing that i think is important is to realize that we need to be organizing internationalist groups of solidarity to do just that we need to be learning how to play our role we need to be learning how to develop a revolution which will not fail or will not be taken down in the ways in which revolutions in the past have we have to learn we have to study, we have to understand history, we have to understand materialism, we have to understand philosophy, but we also have to understand people. We have to understand reality, and we have to bring it down to the level that the people can be a part of. We have to develop with the people, and we have to make it so that this is for the people and by the people. What we are looking for here is what is called the dictatorship of the proletariat, where the whole class the whole working and exploited people themselves take hold of the situation through administration of the economy, the production, the development, and the societal uh, uh, growth. All of this must and can only be done through deep forms of solidarity and community. Otherwise, we will just have another form of oppression. We do not want any more oppression. Last few things I will say is this, we must abolish NATO, we must uh, either abolish or uh, completely reorganize the United Nations into something that is actually capable or willing to do anything that is necessary for the international communities of exploit and oppress people, rather than just first world imperialist nations themselves. We need to be giving support to China. We need to be giving support to Venezuela. We need to be giving support to Vietnam and Cuba and Nicaragua and Bolivia. We need to be giving support to Honduras and the Honduran people and Xiomara Castro and the Libre Party. We have to be demanding that the ongoing coups and military juntas and U.S. involvement in Europe and in Asia and in Africa. Stop now. We must demand an end to Africom. We must demand an end to the continued exploitation and oppression of the people across the world by the U.S. Empire. And if demanding these things are not enough, we must act. We must know when demands are not being met and know how to act tactically, how to strategize, how to come together, and how to bring these ongoing people's movements to a a revolutionary. Uh, coalition and cooperation between one another so that the masses of people themselves can actually fight, can actually win, and can actually be liberated. Long live the revolution, folks. We'll see you next time. Peace.